So if I like could pick my favorite soda drink right now, it would be the 44 ounce founder at Swig, which is like a dirty Diet Coke. My favorite soda is Diet Dr. Pepper, and I've been drinking it for many years. I, I just think it's the best diet drink. <laughs> that was Utah House Speaker Brad Wilson, a Republican, and House Minority Leader Brian King, a Democrat. Talking about their favorite soft drinks, as Representative King likes to call them. I disagree with him on that, but that's a topic for another time. Because we sat down and had some soft drinks with them to talk about what we can expect to see in the legislative session this year, which starts tomorrow. I'm Sonia Hudson. And I'm Emily Means. Oh, man, Sonia, these Democrats and Republicans cannot agree on anything. And that's just about what they like to drink, you know? (laughs) When it comes to legislation, I think it's safe to say the differences are even more pronounced. And speaking of legislation, welcome to season two of State Street. Capitol Hill is busy preparing for its 45-day legislative session, and we're here to help you make sense of it all. And to kick things off, we're going to give you a solid grounding of what to look out for this session, like the Great Salt Lake, COVID vaccines, and tax cuts. So we're going to cover a lot here, but don't worry, because we're going to do this together. And what can't we do when we're together? Nothing. There's nothing we can't do. (laughs) Then each week this session, we will still be here to let you know about the big issues of the week and dig deeper into a proposed policy. Sonia, I sat down with House Speaker Brad Wilson for a little virtual chat with his soda of choice because chatting over drinks is always a great way to loosen up, right? Absolutely. We started with the hard-hitting stuff. So if I, like, pick my favorite soda drink right now, it would be the 44-ounce Founder at Swig, which is like a dirty Diet Coke. My goodness, 44 ounces of soda? Well, that's like for a whole day. Like you get that in the morning and then you just have it with you all day. Okay, it's like a camelback situation. Um, What is in it? Uh, It's Diet Coke and I don't know, magic. It's got magic in it. Very good. Um, Thank you for entertaining all of my very hard hitting questions there. This is like my favorite interview of the whole pre-session. So let's keep going on this. (laughs) Let's talk about something else that you're passionate about. You've made the Great Salt Lake one of your top priorities. It's in your district, and sometimes I even hear it referred to as your biggest constituent. (laughs) But you wrote in a recent op-ed that you only just became aware of how dire the situation is. Tell me about the day you recently spent out on the lake. Yeah, with some friends, we went out a couple days before Christmas and spent a day on the lake. And um, it's really, and I use this word and you've heard it before, but it's kind of an otherworldly experience. Uh, remarkably beautiful and peaceful. Watching the sunrise uh, uh, over the marshes and, and set over the island um, at the end of the day was, was beautiful. And I, I, I really did feel as we were heading back in, it was so cold. Uh, as we were heading back in at the end of the day, I thought, We've got to elevate the discussion about this lake um, for a variety of reasons. And it was a little bit of an emotional experience, I'm not going to lie. I think kind of the coming together of the drought we've been in, 
the lake uh, hitting a level that we haven't seen since Brigham Young and the pioneers rolled into the valley. And uh, really the tipping point for me is when I learned about a lake in California called Owens Lake, which has a lot of similarities to the Great Salt Lake, but it dried up completely. And the environmental devastation that that event had on the surrounding area was remarkable. And so what, uh, what I decided is, you know, we've got to really pay attention to this. We can't afford for that same type of chain of events to occur here in Utah. The legislature supports projects that environmentalists say would harm the Great Salt Lake, like the Inland Port and the Bear River Diversion, which would divert water from the lake's biggest tributary. How does that square with wanting to protect it? So we've worked really closely with environmental groups in the, in, in the northwest part of Salt Lake County to ensure that the, the waterfowl issues and the bird issues there in particular um, are, are being taken care of. Uh, and so there's, there's work being, being done. I actually just left prior to this, Emily, a meeting about the inland port, and this is one of the issues we were talking about is how do we ensure we're taking care of those issues and, and not creating problems with the environment down the road. The Bear River Diversion um, is an interesting topic, um, and it's part of the long-term water development plan in the state. Uh, I don't think we know uh, the answer to that yet. Um, it's one that we'll need to continue to explore. But the reason is, is there's so much that can be done to help the lake and help our water needs in this state, regardless of whether we build that project or not, uh, primarily around conservation and using the water that we have more effectively. Let's move on. Briefly, what are the biggest priorities for Republican leadership this session? Well, as is always the case, when you've got the fastest growing state in the country, which we've had before, there's a lot of things we've got to work on. And you just touched on one of them, which is water. And so you will see a number of, of bills related to water conservation. There's a whole other uh, element of the session and a theme you're going to see coming out of it relative to our growth as a state. And in particular, how do we keep Utah an affordable place to live? And so you will see policies related to housing affordability and how we can ensure that our kids and grandkids uh, can stay here and not have to move somewhere else. And um, you will see policies um, related to childcare. I would put in this bucket around affordable Utah relative to our growth, some tax relief, some tax relief for every Utah. Um, so that we can actually kind of get a dividend, if you will, from the prosperity that we have right now. So those are, you know, some themes. It is another election year, and you recently voted for a legislative audit of Utah's election systems. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson's office runs elections, and she says she's not afraid of the audit. She welcomes it. But she's still worried that it feeds into this narrative that kind of undermines confidence in elections and makes it harder to vote. So I'm wondering what you make of that argument. Well, I think if there's ever a, a time where we need to reinforce that the Utah election system is being run well, which I think it is, one way to reinforce that message is to audit it and prove it. But you do feel like it is on solid footing. So I guess people might wonder why spend money to, you know, hit home what we already know. 
Yeah. Well, we do uh, move through uh, all functions of government programs and agencies with routine audits. So that's part of it. Um, we also, uh, it's not unusual for when there's dust being kicked up around an issue to do exactly what we're doing, to say, all right, well, let's audit it and see where we're at. We're entering the third year of the COVID-19 pandemic. It feels like the 20th, but yeah, I believe you. Seriously, though, right? Um, Only about 60% of Utahns are fully vaccinated, even a year after the vaccine became available. But Republicans are sponsoring bills this session that would further limit vaccine mandates. Why? Uh, Simply because we don't think that's government's role to mandate people get a vaccine. We really believe that people should have choice uh, about about issues like that. And, um, you know, we'll see. There's a lot of different policy discussion happening around this right now. But do you think these bills send a wrong message about about vaccines? I think that we have managed the vaccine wrong from the beginning. Uh, I don't think we should have ever mandated anything in this country. Um, We're not a country that does that. And um, uh, America and our country and our state, for sure, uh, are, are built on personal responsibility, like I said, an individual choice. And as soon as you mandate something, a large portion of the population who might have done it choose not to. And so I think this has been mismanaged from day one. What is the legislature doing to end the pandemic? Um, you know, I appreciate so much uh, your, the, the, the influence you think we have. <laughs> you think you <laughs> but, don't? Um, I, I don't think that uh, we have influence over global pandemics to the degree that you've asked in your question. Um, you know, I think that our job is to get people resources and support and information. Um, but I don't, I don't think you want to turn um, to the legislature to solve the, the pandemic. So I, I think it's up to people and individuals in the healthcare system uh, to do that work. Um, I think that's all we have for you, unless there's anything else you want to say about what to expect this session. What's the theme? Wow. Well, uh, I think we've talked a lot about it, but uh, I think the theme in, in general is how do we transition and turn the page on a pandemic that hopefully is ending soon and position Utah for a really bright future. Okay. House Speaker Wilson, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks, Emily. Take care. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll hear Sonia's conversation with House Minority Leader Brian King to see how Democrats are thinking about these issues. You're listening to State Street. Support for State Street comes from the Hinckley Report podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about the biggest political headlines in the Beehive State. Find new episodes of PBS Utah's The Hinckley Report every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to State Street. I'm Emily Means. And I'm Sonia Hudson. So I'm going to reference our supermajority episode from last season. Basically, we talked about how there are so many Republicans in the legislature that they can pass whatever they want, regardless of what the Democrats think about their proposals. So that means a lot of what you heard Brad Wilson say, you know, talk about water conservation, tax cuts, the Great Salt Lake, that will probably be a big focus this session. However, that is usually not the case for the Democrats. If the Republicans want to do something that the Democrats oppose, 
All the Democrats can really do is try and speak out against it, raise their voices, use the power of the microphone. Or talk to the media about it. Exactly. So, you know, it's still insightful and important to hear from the Democratic leader to see how Democrats are thinking about these issues. So I did my own virtual soda chat with House Minority Leader Brian King. What is your favorite soda? <laughs> well, I'm, I, my favorite soda is Diet Dr. Pepper, and I've been drinking it for many years. I, I just think it's the best diet drink. Before I switched over to diet drinks, I was a big Mountain Dew fan, but that was just too disastrous for my health. So anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I, I'm a Diet Coke gal, but I, I think can we, we can, still, can, we get along? We can okay. still proceed with the interview. Okay, okay. Yeah, good, I think good. we can still get along. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. What are the Democrats' top priorities for the upcoming legislative session? Well, um, we're always looking out for to put in place good public policy that reflects the values and priorities of Utahns. So we're trying to make sure that we deal with uh, economic issues for the most part, because that's what most people are really First and foremost concerned about is how do I provide for myself? How do I provide for my children? I mean, things like affordable housing are critically important issues. Things like getting rid of the sales tax on food so that individuals who really are struggling to make ends meet have a better way of addressing that uh, specific basic issue. And, and so those are the things that I think uh, we as Democrats are most concerned about. All right, let's talk about a super non-controversial topic, election integrity. Ah, love that. Love that topic. I <laughs> you love knew it that would come topic. up. You knew it would come up. So the Legislative Audit Committee, which you're on, gave the green light to a statewide audit of Utah's election systems. Um, we've also got Republican Representative Phil Lyman planning to run a bill that would require county clerks to hire outside firms to conduct election audits every year. Democrats are against these moves, and the response from Republicans is usually, well, what are you afraid of with these audits? What do you see as the consequences of doing these kinds of audits? Well, the, the real problem, and I think Lieutenant Governor Henderson and Governor Cox have addressed this quite effectively in the sense that they've said over and over again, look, it's our job to make sure that elections are conducted with integrity in Utah. That's what we've done for years. We've watched this very carefully. There has been no good reason to think that elections in Utah lack integrity. And for others to come along and cast doubt or make questions, raise questions about that is a form of gaslighting, quite honestly. Well, what have you got to be afraid of? Look, I don't have anything to be afraid of. And the fact, what you should be concerned about in raising this issue over and over again is uh, giving credibility to the big lie that there is somehow uh, something tainted about the 2020 presidential election or that we can't trust the processes that we already have in place to provide us with good, honest, fair elections right now. Mm -hmm. There is a Republican bill that would ban employee vaccine mandates and any sort of vaccine requirement by the government. There are some carve-outs for universities and assisted living facilities. What, in your opinion, is the best way to balance public health and personal freedom? And can you give me an example of a time where you dealt with this in your conversations with Republicans? That's a great question in the sense that that balance that you're identifying is something that we do need to effectively address here in Utah. 
quite honestly, it's been so such a lightning rod that I have felt like that maybe not the best way to go. That maybe what we should do is uh, educate. That we should use uh, gentle persuasion, long suffering, and patience in talking with our fellow citizens about this because it's it's become a, a situation where everybody's so entrenched that it actually, in some ways, does more harm than good to just continue to harp on this as a mandatory action by the government. Yeah, I mean, but I feel like persuasion and education has been the strategy so far. You know, Governor Cox has asked people very nicely a lot. He's pleaded with them to, you know, get vaccinated. But our, our vaccine rate is still really underneath the national average. So what more is there to do? What more can Democrats do to get Republican leadership to address this? On this issue at this time, I don't know what it is, quite honestly, Sonia. We've been dealing with this now for over 18 months. When people begin to vote public officials out of office, that's when you'll see public officials change their positions. Zooming out a bit, what Republican proposals are you most concerned about and what is the Democrat strategy to push back against them? There are some of my colleagues, Republican uh, colleagues up the legislature, who really want to focus on some very divisive and I think non-existent in terms of being public real problems, such as CRT, critical race theory teaching in public schools. We don't have that in Utah. We never have. It's a diversion of attention away from the most important things that we need to address. You're not going to see Democrats talking about it except in response to the issues as they're raised by Republicans. The same is true for transgender issues in athletics. It's a nothing burger in terms of an issue or a problem in Utah. With regard to things that aren't culturally based, I'm concerned about some of the uh, issues that we've seen from Republicans who want to put in place a big tax cut. If you're someone who's making six figures, you don't need an income tax cut in Utah, period, full stop. Now, not everyone's going to agree with me on that, but it's something I think most Democrats feel strongly about, that money that's directed toward people who don't need the income because they're doing relatively well is going to better be spent addressing needs of Utahns, whether it's public transportation, whether it's affordable housing. That's the kind of stuff that I want to see our money used for. But to give a tax cut to people at the highest end of the income scale just because tax cuts are always good, that doesn't resonate with me well at all. Emily, we got into many of the issues that are probably going to be big up on the Hill this year. And you and I are going to go back through these. But I think it's important to remember that politicians are real people and working together can sometimes be tough. Yes, especially when it comes to things that you're passionate about. Right. And so I asked Representative King about what it's like for Republicans and Democrats to work together. And he told me a story about a time when he and the former Speaker of the House, Greg Hughes, really butted heads. I'll tell you a story that I had with my, my friend, Greg Hughes. In the uh, summer of 2015, we were talking about Medicaid expansion. And Greg, as the Speaker of the House, came out of a caucus meeting of the House Republicans and said to the media, we have to have 38 votes within our caucus in order for Medicaid expansion to pass. And I thought to myself, I mean, basically what you're saying, Mr. Speaker, is that Republicans are the only thing that matter in the Utah State House 
And I thought, well, I can't just sit back and say nothing. And so I wrote an op-ed that blasted him. And the speaker was livid. We didn't speak to each other for the next six, eight months. And we got together in March or April after the session. And I said, look, you're never going to see me change my tune on this, Mr. Speaker. And he looked at me and said, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. And I said, yes, we will. But you know what? We continue to work together on things. So you got to have people on the other side of the aisle, Republicans in positions of leadership, looking at you as a Democrat and saying, I honor the need that you have to speak as a Democrat and to represent the, the people who elected you in a way that doesn't cause you to be fearful about retribution here in the Utah State Legislature. Do you have a similar kind of relationship with the current Speaker of the House, Brad Wilson? I think that there are a lot of things that Speaker Wilson does well. I think that to be an effective leader, you have to come in and recognize the role that the minority party plays and the minority party leadership plays. There's always tension there, and that's okay. Bridging the gap on that kind of tension is much more tolerable and helpful when you have a really close personal relationship or at least a good personal relationship. And I don't really feel that I have that to the same degree with this speaker. It's not to say anything negative about him. It's just to say that's the reality from my perspective. So obviously, I had to ask Wilson about how he views his relationship with Representative King. And here's what Wilson said after listening to the House Minority Leader's feelings. I have um, a lot of respect for uh, Representative King and um, his service to the state. Uh, and we've worked together on a lot of issues. Um, uh, but I'm probably not as, as close to him as maybe I am some other members of his caucus. Um, and that's not a reflection on him. It's just how relationships uh, grow and develop. So, yep, I would agree. All right. I like that we're practicing some radical honesty here. Yes. Maybe they should get a soda together and work things out a bit. <laughs> well, if they were going to go to swig together, I think that it would probably be a good idea to start with the things that they agree on. So maybe we should start with that. Great idea, Sonia. Let's start with COVID. When we asked Representative King about the policies he wants to see, he said that the pandemic was such a politicized issue that it was better for state leaders to basically just ask nicely when it comes to vaccines and masks. Yeah, I was actually really surprised that Wilson and King had such similar positions on this. You know, their motivations are a little different. Wilson's reasoning, for example, is that, you know, this strategy of more personal responsibility and less mandates is just the best way to address this. King's reasoning is a little more that this is what's politically feasible, not necessarily how he would want things to work in an ideal world. And, you know, he says at the end of the day, pushing for a mandate isn't going to get us where we need to go because it's so divisive. Yeah, but practically these two approaches have the same outcome. Absolutely. But besides that, not a lot of agreement between these two on big issues. One of the most glaring differences is on election integrity. Mm -hmm. Given how divisive this issue is, though, between the national parties, I can't say I'm super surprised there's such a difference of opinion between the parties on this issue here in Utah as well. But they do both agree that Utah's elections are run well. But besides that, they don't really agree at all about the need to audit those elections. No way. Uh, basically, Speaker Wilson says any government process could benefit from an audit. He thinks that an audit will help reassure people that things are secure, working as they should. And Representative King says it is a 
big waste of money. And it also validates the big lie that the November 2020 presidential election was stolen. You know, to Speaker Wilson's point, this audit might convince some people, I think, that elections are secure. But I also think there's a lot of people that are just so entrenched in the idea that elections are rigged, that there's no way even this will convince them, especially because it's a government audit when a lot of them want an independent forensic audit. All right, let's move on now to tax cuts. Yeah, Speaker Wilson, he mentioned that tax cuts will be a priority this session, and he's looking at it as a break for everyone since the state has been so prosperous. But Representative King is saying, hey, maybe we could be more strategic with our tax cuts and and tailor them to help the people who need the most help. That definitely fits with how these two parties have traditionally differed on tax policy. Typically, Republicans like flat tax rates, like the ones we have in Utah, and Democrats like progressive tax rates, where people are taxed differently based on how much money they make. You know, Emily, every session typically has a theme, and I think for sure one of the big ones this year is going to be water and the Great Salt Lake. I think you are exactly right about that, Sonia. And it's not incredibly surprising, given how bad the drought was this past summer and how much state leaders were talking about that last year. And with the Great Salt Lake in particular, that's something Speaker Wilson says he is really passionate about. But given his response about projects environmentalists say could harm the lake, like the inland port and the Bear River diversion, which would take water out of the Bear River, which is the lake's largest tributary, I think the question is, how much are they willing to give up to help save the Great Salt Lake? That does it for this episode of State Street. I'm Sonia Hudson. And I'm Emily Means. The team includes Caroline Ballard, Elaine Clark, Brenton Weiniger, and Jim Hill. State Street is a production of KUER. And if you liked what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. It really helps other listeners find the show. See you next week. It's got Diet Coke and lime and coconut. I'm going to get you one. Oh, please don't. (laughs) Um, What's the drink called? Can we please get a 44-ounce founder? 44 founder? Yeah. Can we get two of those? Two of them? What? No, we only need one. We only need one? It's 44 (laughs) And that will be all. Hello. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Um, All right. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Moment of truth. Moment of truth. Here we go. I like it. There's a lot going on there. I, I thought that the the coconut and the lime would be a little bit more aggressive, yeah. but it, it just tastes very diet cookie. Um, okay. Okay. I mean it's fine. From KUER.